All right, all right, all right. Go ahead and grab a seat. Go ahead and grab a seat. Grab a seat. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Sit down, sit down right now. Sit down in your seat. Come on now. Hate to interrupt your great conversations. Word of God's about to be preached this morning. Um, hey, my name's Glenn. I have the joy of serving as one of the pastors here. And uh, a warm welcome to you, especially if you're new with us. Welcome to City Light Bennington. We love preaching through books of the Bible. So uh, we find ourselves in the book of James. If you brought a Bible with you this morning, meet me in James chapter 5. James chapter 5. For those of you who maybe this is your first time with us, let me recap. Um, the author of this letter, James, uh, as per the name of the book of your Bible, was a little brother to Jesus, a really influential early church leader. And this book is so practical, uh, exceedingly practical. It's really committed to answering the question, um, how does faith in Jesus evidence itself in my life? James is really committed to uh, what does practical, working, living faith look like in the Christian life. And so I want to waste no time this morning. I want to open up our time by asking you a question. It's a question I have a feeling you will know the answer to really quick. It's also a question that if you feel like you don't know the answer, I think I could probably answer it for you. Are you ready for the question? Are you a patient person? (laughs) Does patience characterize you? Are you okay with waiting? Uh, I remember when uh, Kate and I were newly married, we would go to the grocery store together. And we would enjoy uh, shopping for things. It was quality time, according to her. And she would uh, go up to a shelf and grab something, and I would always push the cart uh, right behind her. Every time that she put something into the cart, my habit was just, okay, are we good? Did we need anything else? Like, I'll meet you at the checkout. You can go, do you need one more thing? And it would, it would always happen like that. And, and I remember one time she finally said, Glenn, if you, we've been here for five minutes, five minutes. If you ask me that question every 20 seconds, this is not going to work. Okay, I remember also uh, early in our marriage, we had this refrigerator that uh, had a really slow water dispenser. I know, you can judge, okay? But you know that, that thing that gives you the clean version of what people in other countries walk miles to a well to get another version of? You're not going to believe this, but it would take 30 whole seconds to fill up a cup. I did not like that. Um, I'm the guy that, you know, I'll put in a, a good workout and, and, and push the muscles and then eat well for a few days and wonder why I'm not seeing results in the mirror. Uh, I'm the guy that I don't even know if my daughter heard me the first time, but if she asks me one more time, okay? Now, some of you are thinking right now, the Lord needs to do a mighty work in this pastor's heart. Does he? Are you so spirit-filled that you're going to be fine when the Christmas shipping gets delayed? You're going to be fine when I take this sermon 25 minutes over the allotted time, okay? Um, For real, we're so impatient, we can't even wait to age naturally. Do you guys remember the Face app? Do you remember that craze a few years ago, that app we all downloaded, and we'd take a selfie, 
and it would give us like gray hair and wrinkles and we would ship all of our personal data to Russia and China. Are we still proud of that? Are we proud of that? (laughs) This is the bottom line. We are not patient people. Like we're probably the least patient of anyone who's ever lived on the earth. And it's because everything we know is fast and everything we know is convenient and it's built around and designed around quickness and convenience and we just, we hate waiting. And so if, if I could just shift my tone here, the reality we're going to confront in God's word this morning is that that kind of impatience, although it's great to, to laugh about and, and it's, it can be fun in games, um, it, it is fun in games until we really, really need patience. And not just for little things, but for long-standing trials and, and, and long-lasting pain and suffering in our life. Um, impatience, I think, is one of the greatest threats to our faith in Jesus. And so, um, if we don't hear the Holy Spirit's encouragement this morning in the Word, we're not going to know how to lead our own heart and our own mind when we're stuck in pain. And here's what we'll actually do, and we've all been there. We'll actually allow ourselves to drift into the worst place a person can be, and that is hopelessness. We'll allow our relationship and our closeness and our friendship with God to sort of just become this numb thing where he feels distant. And I want to just hit us at the outset with some truth. There is no instant, microwavable, downloadable, made-to-order fix for broken relationships a struggling marriage, a tough health diagnosis, a a toxic work environment. In this life, in one way or another, we will have to wait. We will have to be patient people. And I would argue it's not just a fruit of the Spirit in us. It's not just patience being a virtue. It is also a discipline to be patient. We have to be proactive, proactively patient. And so I've titled my sermon, really, really clever, I mean, genius. It's called Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. So I want to dive in. Let's meet in verse 7. Verse 7. And before we dive in, let me just pray that God would bless our time in his word. Um, Father, right now, we acknowledge that this is your house. We are your people. We need your word. It is life to us. It's truth that casts out lies. It's comfort to us. It's wisdom to us when we're tempted to be foolish. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to receive. We ask in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, James 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. So we're going to stop right there. God is very explicit through James. What's the first two words? Be patient. Be patient patient. And 
And he's going to help us in our understanding. He says, hey, look at the life of a farmer. Um, He waits for the land to yield its crop. He waits patiently. And we naturally are going to ask in our day and age, why is this significant? Why is it significant that the farmer patiently waits? Here it is. It's because the farmer knows that his waiting is not useless. The farmer has a perspective that I think you and I, we often lack. He knows that as he waits, his patience is being tested. As he waits for the rain and and he hopes that it comes and as he endures, there's something good taking place. He doesn't run out to the field every hour and groan because nothing's happening. No, he knows. It's not about seconds, but it is about seasons in life. He understands that change is taking place even though he can't see it. Think about this, church. Those, those seeds that a farmer plants, they're slowly generating roots, and those roots have to go down deeper into the ground, and, and then germination is going to happen underneath the earth. And guess what? The farmer cannot see or measure any of it for almost five months until one day, All of that underground activity finally bursts above the surface and a plant grows and it matures and it bears fruit. And so what this means in simple terms is that waiting is not just waiting. Waiting is not just waiting. And James is going to say, do you see this picture? Look at verse 8. You also, you also be patient for the coming of the Lord is at hand. That's twice that James mentions in just both of these verses, the coming of the Lord. And in this one, he even goes further. The coming of the Lord is at hand. It's it's here. It's soon. Let me ask you a question. If your Bible, in the New Testament alone, speaks of something 300 times, on average, once every 13 verses, Do you think it's something significant? Do you think it's something God would want us to pay attention to? The second coming, the arrival of Jesus Christ is that thing. It is an absolutely paramount theme for the Christian life. And yet, I would argue, you may be here with me on this, it might be one of the easiest things to not think about that much because we're so busy. And we're caught up in our day-to-day. And the future will just figure itself out. We're more worried about tomorrow than we are 10,000 years from now. So, you and I have been called by God, just a little teaching here, to live in a place in time that theologians will call a few different things. They'll call it uh, the middle. They'll call it the in-between. They'll call it the already-but-not-yet And if you wonder what I mean when I say that, here it is. Christians believe that Jesus has come. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, has come. He's walked the earth. He lived a perfect life. He's died as an atoning sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sin. He spent three days in that grave. And then he rose again. He came back to life to demonstrate his authority over our three biggest enemies. Satan, sin, and death itself. 
Already God's word has been revealed and it's been given and already his spirit has been poured out to live in us and to empower us and to give us new life. And right now, Jesus is continuing to build his church. He's continuing to change people's lives and people's stories. And we're going to hear about that before we leave this building today. Amen? Amen. Right now, Jesus can forgive. He can enable people to repent and walk in freedom from bondage, and he can give eternal hope. But not yet has sin been completely defeated. Not yet has Jesus returned to restore his kingdom forever. Not yet has pain and sorrow and heartache been done away with. Not yet has this fallen and broken world been restored to its original, good, beautiful, peaceful design. We as Christ's followers live in the middle right now. We live in between the already and we live awaiting that which has not yet happened. And what we are experiencing right now, we can be grateful for. God's grace. God's mercy, justification for our sin, forgiveness, an invitation into his mission and into his kingdom, pouring out of his spirit and spiritual gifts and ways that God might use us to build his influence and his leadership in our world. But y'all, we know, we know, this isn't it. This isn't it. I'm going to read to you from Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is John. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Patience only makes sense when we do what James instructs, and that is to establish our hearts. Establish our hearts on the reality that whatever is happening in our life, that thing that is demanding so much painful patience from you right now, God is there and he is marching us toward his arrival. Jesus is coming again. And church, my encouragement is that we would take heart in this because whatever we're enduring right now, that the lack of a quick solution, the lack of, of, of a fix can feel unbearable at times. Like we just want it to change and it can consume our mind and, 
and it can spiral us into despair. It keeps us from being present in anything in our life. That pain and that struggle becomes our new God that we bow down to and we worship. It takes the the place on the throne of our heart and it robs us from so much that God wants to give us. But don't miss this. Because your faith is in Jesus, your life is headed somewhere. Your life is moving in a direction. You have this beautiful assurance, something that you did not have when you did not know Jesus. It's called destiny and hope. And it's talked about so much in God's word. Will we pay attention to it? That there is a shoreline that we will one day reach. It's coming. It's coming. There will be a day when Jesus comes on the clouds and he's surrounded by millions of angels and he's going to come and collect his people and usher them into his new heavens and his new earth and there will be a day when he rejoices Christian in your faith and he affirms your perseverance and he looks to you and he calls your name and he invites you into the eternal bliss of living and working and playing in the light of his presence and oh How those things in life right now that we're really impatient with, those things that are just killing us, how they will grow strangely dim. The only thing worse, I've said this before, but I believe it, the only thing worse than enduring any trial that you're in right now is enduring it without believing in and belonging to Jesus. It's enduring it without having faith and hope and assurance that there is a perfect, loving, just king who is coming back to establish his kingdom. And that king will wipe away every tear from every eye. He will bring his faithful followers back from the dead He will right every wrong and restore every relationship and heal every disease. And he will vanquish Satan and sin and death forever. Forever. If you and I didn't believe that, like if we didn't actually believe that, if we don't actually establish our hearts on that, if we didn't have faith in that, The word of God says that we would be the most to be pitied on earth. But you know what? Jesus is alive. Jesus rose from the grave. Jesus has the power and the authority all in and of himself to bring about this reality for us. And all it takes on our part to participate in it and to live in light of it today is faith in him, belief in him, trust in him. And so I wonder... In two verses, do you hear his voice? Be patient. Stand firm. Establish your heart. Press on. Look up. Don't be troubled. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. I'm coming back for my people. This trial and this suffering right now, they're difficult. But my child, I will make all things new. I know, I know that we want change now. 
I know, I feel it in the room. Yes, Glenn, but what about now? What, what about the answer to the prayer now? Can't something change today, tomorrow? Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. God is able. God is able. But he is God. And you and I are not. His timing, better than our timing. His plan, so much better than our plan. Better leader of our life than we would ever be at our best. We don't have the power or the control to purpose all of human history toward its redemptive end with Jesus coming back. We don't. We live in between the already and the not yet. I am hoping and praying that today we see how essential, crucial, vital hope is for the Christian faith. We live in a world where we're trying to insulate ourselves to where hope isn't needed. Like we live in a culture that's trying to insulate ourselves from anything where we would need hope. We've got everything we need right now, here. It's all fixed. It's all solved. I've got my little kingdom. It's safe. It's secure. It's comfortable. That's not life in a broken and fallen world. That's not the life that everybody in this room has experienced. How gracious that God would come to us and say, hey, warning, life's not going to be like that, but take hope, take heart. My presence is with you. I will never leave or forsake you. And guess what? Jesus is unlike any other God. He has lived life on this earth. Jesus can actually empathize with you. Jesus knows pain. Jesus, God, knows bleeding. He knows heartache. He knows rejection. He knows betrayal. He knows sadness and grief. He's acquainted with it. No other God. Jesus is unlike anyone else. There's no one like him. And he's the God that says, come to me, you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. I want to finish this morning by inviting us into the next uh, couple verses. I'm going to go verse 10 and 11 in this chapter because James has told us about a farmer as an illustration, right? But what he's going to do is he's going to talk about real life people now. And, and he's going to take us into real life examples. And so verse 10 says this. Oh, I got to go back to James chapter 5. Verse 10 says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So, so real quick, James first mentions the prophets. I don't know that you and I would want to have been called to be a prophet in the Old Testament. Prophets were always coming on behalf of God, called by God to say very unpopular things to the people of God. Always coming to call God's people into repentance, back to holiness, back to unity, back to worship. It did not go well for prophets in the Old Testament often. And so they had to practice patience in a couple of ways. Number one, they were always delivering their message to people with hard hearts, people who were calloused. So there just had to be patience that people were not going to listen. And number two, prophets would make promises on behalf of God to people that often they would die and never see the results of. They had to believe and be patient knowing that God is making promises that one day he will keep even if I don't see it, even if I'm not around. But then he turns to the story of Job. Anyone heard the story of Job? Yeah, 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 Job. Okay, I love Job. What an amazing story in the Bible. If you haven't read Job, go read Job this week. 
I'm going to give you just a little bit of a, a taste of what happens in the book of Job. Job is this guy who's really upright. He's righteous. He's so righteous, church, that he, every evening, makes sacrifices to God on behalf of each of his many children, confessing their sin, asking God for forgiveness, one at a time. Do you do that? <laughs> Go just, a, a, you know, you walk into each room, have like a long prayer session for each of your children each night. If you do that, I need to learn from you, okay? We all need to learn from you, but I'm guessing don't nobody in here. Maybe some of the select few, but Job was a good man. The Bible tells us he's a good man, righteous man, okay? Imagine uh, a throne room in heaven, and imagine this scene where angels are presenting themselves to God, and, and um, Satan, the accuser, shows up. And he basically is, is um, asking the Lord for permission to, to really hurt one of God's people. And um, God says, have you considered, God says, have you considered Job? Have you considered my servant Job? And so here's kind of the claim that Satan makes. He says, if I take away everything you've given that man, all his wealth, his comforts, his family, all you've provided, he will deny you and curse your name. And God says back to Satan, if I were to translate with uh, language from Gen Z, bet, okay? So, so what happens is uh, we read about all of, of Job's crops burning up and his cattle dying, and, and listen, this is heartbreaking, all of his children die, all of them. And he is um, on his knees, he's covered in ash, he's, he's crying, he's weeping, he's mourning. But if you read the story, there's still, in his prayers, a faint worship. There's a song that he still sings. He's still praising God. He doesn't curse God. And so Satan comes to God and says, well, this is predictable. I haven't done anything to actually affect the man himself. Let me inflict him with sickness. And so the Lord says, as long as you don't kill him, go ahead. And so what we read about is that uh, Job has boils, okay? And these are like disgusting. I mean, he's taking um, shards of, 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 of jars of clay and he's like scraping these boils on his skin. He's inflicted with this disease and he's penniless. And we read about how his wife comes to him and she was spared in all of this. And she comes to him and says, you should just give up, curse God and die. Job rebukes her. And then he has some friends come. They're intellectuals. They're deep thinkers. They're kind of the, the theologians of the time. And, and uh, they come by his side, and, and they're, they're trying to just ask questions about, like, what sin did you actually commit somewhere in the past maybe that you don't know about? And, like, we need to figure out what that is because that's probably what's causing God to do this. And uh, maybe you forgot it, but, but here's what happens. Job also rebukes them. And the posture of Job's heart is eventually captured in chapter 42 of Job. What's happened is that God has just unleashed a long string of questions to Job because Job finally gets to a place where you and I have been, where he's, he's talking to friends, he's talking to his spouse, he's talk, and finally he's just looking up at God and going, why? Why? And, and there's just a humanity to him. And here's God's response. He, he, he's unleashing questions on him like, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? And 
Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And a humbled Job finally replies, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Ultimately, Job does not deny God, and the Lord restores to Job a new family, all of his possessions twofold. Now, the moral of the story, if you will, is not, it's not, the more faith and less complaining will mean an end to your trial and suffering like a formula. Instead, it's a story that shows a man who does not deny God. Sure, he struggles. He's in pain. He's afflicted. He cries to God. He wrestles with God. He questions God. But in all the pain and anguish, he never rejects God. He never runs from God. He never turns his back on God. His real faith, his authentic faith, his living faith was evidenced by an unwillingness to stop believing in God. So I want you to think about your life right now. In these moments, just to drive this home, when, when suffering is more severe or there's more of a delay in something that we expected, it's just more difficult than we expected, it's very easy to begin uh, to bring into question our obedience to God. It's very easy with a common cold to begin to bring into question the good habits that we have, spending time with Him. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> um, it's very easy for us to begin to wonder if pausing and, and, and praying and acknowledging his presence will accomplish anything. As one of your pastors, I just want to tell you this from experience. Um, when you're in waiting and patience is being demanded of you, you are going to hear a voice that whispers in your ear. God doesn't seem to be listening. What difference does it make if you read your Bible? Why be a part of the, the small group with people who haven't gone through anything like you have? Are they going to be able to relate? Can they even help? Do their prayers make a difference? Why go to church on Sunday? Why sing? The lyrics don't even reflect the way you really feel in your heart. I just want to say, hey, church, don't give in to that. Don't give up. Don't bail out of the thing. Your marriage, your job, don't give up on your friends, don't give up on your church, don't give up on your relationship with God. Don't bail, don't quit. Here's why. A purpose will eventually emerge. Whatever you're enduring, there is a reasoning behind your need for patience, and it will show itself, and God will uphold you. He is in control, and his purpose is untouchable. He will reveal his will, his plan to you in time. So stand firm. Press on. Establish your heart on eternity. Wait on the Lord. I want to close in prayer. And I want to pray something over us. And my, heart, and my heart's for everybody in this room. My heart's for the person who you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never actually entrusted your life and transferred ownership of your life over to God. I'm going to pray a prayer over you. For the person in the room who you've been following Jesus for years. But right now you find yourself in the middle of waiting and in the middle of suffering. And you need patience. I'm going to pray something over you. 
For those of you who are getting baptized today, I got a prayer I want to pray over you. This is a, a, a applies to everybody prayer. And it's right out of the Word of God. So if you would bow your head, close your eyes. I'm going to read out of Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. God help us see that. This hope, hope in you, will not lead to disappointment ever in any moment, on any day. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. God, right now, we choose, even against our own selfish desires, our own flesh, our own will, everything in us right now may not want to choose this. We choose to wait on you because those who wait on you will not be put to shame, your word says. God, restore, revive, reignite hope in this room. Hope for tomorrow, hope for the next month, hope for next year, hope for eternity. Thank you, Jesus, for your finished work. What a joy it is to know you and to walk this life with you. You are Emmanuel, God with us. Would the baptisms we witness here in a little bit be a picture to us of people who have been transferred from the kingdom of this world to an unending citizenship in heaven, tethered no more to this world, but belonging now and forever to you, and knowing what the future holds. God, build our confidence, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.